0: Hey guys, Josh here. I serve as the Spiritual Formation Director here at ICON. And this week, we are gonna kick off our series on Advent. Uh, so this year, what we're gonna do is we're gonna have a little four-week series looking at some of the titles that the prophet Isaiah gives to Jesus. And uh, specifically, the ways in which these titles address the, the neediness of our world. And if there's ever a season that we need hope, it is in 2020. In Advent, my friends is a unique season in the, in the church calendar where we get to pause and we get to consider on the last year what all that's gone on in light of the hope of Jesus Christ coming in his incarnation and then looking forward to when he will come again. And so with that in mind, as we kick off this series on Advent, I really want to slow down. And I know you're probably in your living room right now, and you probably have, you might have kids running all over the place, but if you're able, I want you to just slow down, take a breath, and pray with me that the Lord would use this Advent series to bring some uh, resolve to the mess of 2020. So, so let's, let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your care and attention that you see and you know and understand the needs of our lives, the angst of our emotions and the torments of our mental health. God, you see and you know perfectly to the bottom all that 2020 has done to us, God. All the ways it's affected us, all the ways it's hampered us, it's hindered us, it's, it's grieved us, God. You see that. And God, you have given us your own son, Jesus Christ, to give us hope. And there are certain things about him as he works in the world that give us hope, God. And so I pray that in these next four weeks, as we look at these these titles of Jesus, these characteristics of Jesus, that you would fill our hearts with hope, God. That you would bring some sort of uh, beginning of, of resolution to 2020, that we might look forward with hope and with expectation into 2021. 2021 is not our hope. Jesus is. And so I pray that in this four-week series, as we look at Jesus, our hope would be renewed, that our joy would be restored, God. And so, Father, today, as we look at the wisdom of your Son, Jesus, I ask that you would unite your power with my weak words, you'd help each and every one of us, and that you'd give us just the faith to run to Jesus and his wisdom, God. Father, we love you and we entrust this time to you in Jesus' name, amen. What do you think of when you think of the word expert? You might have some categories kind of run into your mind about Uh, You know, education, this person is an expert because they've spent this many years in school or this person is an expert because they've spent this amount of time in this specific job field. But I think it's interesting what we're seeing in life today in 2020 and really looking back over the last decade or two. And that is the erosion of this category of expertise. That we no longer, because we, we're in the age of the internet, we no longer have the same type of uh, reverence and type of respect, really, for those who, who put in the time to become a real expert in something. And in his 2018 book, Tom Nichols, he wrote a book called The Death of Expertise, and he says this really, really well, kind of identifies where we're at in society and, and why this has happened. So this is a little bit of a long quote, but I really think it sets up where we're going well. We've all met them. They are our coworkers, our friends, our family members. They are young and old, rich and poor, some with education, others armed with only a laptop or a library card. But they all have one thing in common. They're ordinary people who believe that they are actually troves of knowledge. Convinced that they are more informed than the experts, more broadly knowledgeable than the professors, and more insightful than the gullible masses, they are the explainers who are more than happy to enlighten the rest of us. We accept such people and put up with them, not least because we know that deep down they usually mean well. We even have a certain affection for them. The 1980s television sitcom Cheers, for example, immortalized the character of Cliff Clavin, the Boston mailman who was an expert on everything. Cliff, like his real-life counterparts, prefaced every statement with Studies have shown, or It's a known fact. Viewers loved Cliff because everyone knew someone like him. The cranky uncle at a holiday dinner, or the young student home from that crucial first year of college. He goes on. We could find such people endearing. Because they were quirky exceptions in a country that otherwise respected and relied on the views of experts. But something has changed over the past few decades. The public space has increasingly been dominated by a loose assortment of poorly informed people, many of them autodidacts who are disdainful of formal education and dismissive of experience. This is a very bad thing. A modern society cannot function without a social division of labor and a reliance on experts, professionals, and intellectuals. No one is an expert on everything. No matter what our aspirations, we are bound by the reality of time and the undeniable limits of our talent. We prosper because we specialize and because we develop formal and informal mechanisms that allow us to trust each other in those specializations. We have become... A society of poorly informed individuals who think that we are experts on everything. And man, he wrote that in 2018. If there is ever a year that we saw that explicitly, it was 2020. It is fascinating how many of our Facebook friends have become epidemiologists in just a matter of eight months. Or political theorists who know the, the ins and outs of political theory, who are experts in just a matter of months. We all do this. We all, because we have access to Google and we can find any answer that we want with just the, a, a quick search, we all uh, think of ourselves in some area of life as if we, ha- we can bring a certain expertise to it. For me, it's WebMD. So anytime that I have a pain in my body, <laughs> an ache in my body, whatever it may be, I, automat- I, I run to WebMD and I type in my symptoms. And then it kind of shows me the list of all the possibilities. And as I, as I run through that feed of possibilities, you would think that I had spent a decade in medical school because I'm, I'm filtering through, oh, it's not this, it couldn't be this, but it's probably this. I'm diagnosing myself from WebMD as if I'm an expert in health. And that means I either walk away more fearful <laughs> or somewhat assured. We all do this. And, th- and this is kind of a shift here, but I wonder, do you view Jesus as an expert? And do you apply to his expertise the same ca- the, that same uh, erosion of respect? What I mean by that is that do you see Jesus as able to give you insight and perspective and direction into your life that you could not find on your own? That no matter how many times you search Google, no matter which self-help book you bought, no matter which TED Talk you listen to, that there is a wisdom and there is an insight that Jesus can give you because he is the expert. Do you think of him in that way? That if we, if we believe what we believe about Jesus, that he is God incarnate, then that means that Jesus was the smartest man to ever walk the earth? Or do you view him as simply someone, uh, a helpmate, and your own sense of uh, finding fulfillment in the way that you think is best? Are you wise in your own eyes? Or do you trust the expertise of Jesus' wisdom? And that's what we're going to talk about today. Is this idea of Jesus's wisdom, that he is an expert in life and how human life flourishes in this world. And so kind of like what I said in the beginning, this Advent series is us exploring the four titles that Isaiah 9 gives to Jesus. The first of which is this, wonderful counselor. That Jesus is a wonderful counselor who overflows with wisdom that that's a title that's that's what he is and so we need this wonderful counselor and so so what we're going to do today we're going to look at isaiah 11 and kind of explore the the dynamics of jesus as wonderful counselor and we're really going to see two things we want to look at the wisdom of jesus and we're going to look at the ways of Jesus. We're, just going to, we're going to run through the text. We're going to look at how Jesus is wise and how that works out through his actions toward the world. And then we're going to take some time toward the end to really reflect and to think about how this affects 2020. How Jesus as Wonderful Counselor affects the way that we uh, try to close out this dumpster fire of a year. So let me read the text and we'll, we'll walk through it. And decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist. And faithfulness the belt of his loins. So let's walk through this. And first I want to see the wisdom of Jesus. How does Isaiah describe the wisdom that Jesus has? First off, in verse 2. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Stop right there. This is important. This is important that Isaiah puts this first because it shows us the the source of Jesus's wisdom. You see, if Jesus was just a smart guy that walked through the world and in this life 2,000 years ago and just kind of caught on to how the world worked and really started to understand things, then he'd be wise, but he wouldn't be the wisest person to ever live like we're describing him. But he is the wisest person to ever live precisely because of the source of his wisdom. And that is the Spirit of the Lord. That Jesus' wisdom didn't come because he, uh, you know, got more experience in life, but because he had the fullness of the Holy Spirit in him. And this is important because it begins to show us this, uh, that, that Jesus didn't come into the world. So, so Philippians 2. Philippians 2 talks about how Jesus, when he came into the world, when he took on flesh, he he laid aside certain divine rights and abilities in submission to the Father. In order that he could live a real human life in which he could relate to us, he laid aside certain rights as a divine being and became a human being, still fully divine, but laid aside the access to to practice some of those things. One of which was his omniscience. And you know, skeptics look through the Gospels and they always think like, well, Jesus here, it seems like he doesn't really know what's going on or it seems like he doesn't know the answer to this. If, If he's God, how does he not know when he's coming back, for example? But it's clear in Philippians 2, it's because he's humbled himself in submission to the Father in order that he might relate to us as human beings in a real way. He laid aside divine omniscience when he took on flesh. And then he picked it back up again after his ascension. But in this world, he was dependent on the Spirit of God to give him wisdom. He was dependent on the Holy Spirit to grow in wisdom and in stature. And we see this here, that the Spirit that has been given to Jesus rests upon him. This is important because all throughout the Bible, there, there are examples of people having the Holy Spirit. And especially uh, you know, in the Old Testament, there's examples of uh, Moses or Joshua or all, all different characters who in a moment have access to the Holy Spirit, who are being helped by the Holy Spirit. But none of them, it says that the Spirit of Lord rested upon them in this sense of permanence. Jesus had the Holy Spirit, in full measure at all times. And in that full measure, he grew in wisdom. He grew in wisdom and in stature. Listen listen to Luke 2.52. This is really interesting. This is right after Jesus is in the temple and His parents accidentally left him there, and he's sitting there talking with the scribes and the Pharisees as a young eight-year-old boy, and he's blowing their minds on what he knows. And as he's walking away, uh, it says this. Luke says that Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. That Jesus, as he went through life, And dependence on the Holy Spirit increased in wisdom in such a way that it became full. The fullness of the Spirit with him gave him a fullness of wisdom. And this is really important because it means that the wisdom of Jesus didn't come into this world with divine pushiness. You know what I mean by that? I mean that when Jesus came in, he didn't come in just saying like, you guys need to get your stuff together. Why, Why can't you understand how this world works? And so even now, when, when we go to Jesus for wisdom, he doesn't come to us with a divine condemnation or pushiness that says, why can't you get this together? I figured it out. Rather, since he was dependent on the Holy Spirit for wisdom, in the same way that we are, his wisdom is relatable. His wisdom is relatable and real life. And the wisdom of Jesus is supernatural at the same time. Because it is sourced in the Holy Spirit. Okay, so now we know the source of Jesus' is wisdom. We know that his wisdom is relatable and that his wisdom is supernatural from the Holy Spirit. But now let's look at some of the, the dynamics of this wisdom. How does it actually work itself out? Look at the next verse the spirit of wisdom and understanding. And so, wisdom here speaks to a general category. That about In all of life, he has a reservoir of wisdom from which to draw in any given category. And so Jesus has a breadth of wisdom from the Holy Spirit that covers all of life. There is no category of life in which Jesus is unhelpful or Jesus is ignorant. He knows the right thing in every situation. Jesus is wise. Listen to how, how uh, the theologian A.W. Tozer describes this. The wisdom of God. Wisdom, among other things, is the ability to devise perfect ends and to achieve those ends by the most perfect means. It sees the end from the beginning, so there can be no need to guess or conjecture. Wisdom sees everything in focus, each in proper relation to all, and is thus able to work toward predestined goals with flawless precision. So, the breadth of Jesus' is wisdom covers all of life. And he he knows with flawless precision the right actions to take. But then also this idea of understanding. So Jesus doesn't just have a a broad general category of wisdom, but this understanding speaks to the ability to see to the heart of issues. So whereas his wisdom is general and, and wide, his understanding is deep. This is the specificity of situations. That in any given situation, in any given category, Jesus doesn't just know things about it, but he sees it to the core. He sees to the heart of issues. And it's kind of like, you know, one of one of my favorite shows is Sherlock on Netflix. Uh, my wife hates it for some reason, I don't know. But if you've ever seen, uh, you know, Sherlock Holmes, that whole like genre of, uh, of uh, novels and everything, but but specifically this show, Sherlock, uh, on Netflix. And I think BBC did it or something, but it's on Netflix. That's where I found it. And that show is fascinating to me because it shows Sherlock as almost this supernatural being who's, who's able to come into a crime scene and he's, he's seeing everything. He, he's taking in everything, every single note, every single piece of paper. Every, he's all, it seems like he's taking it in all at once. And not only is it rushing upon him, but it seems like he's able to understand to the depth why that is there, why that chair is pushed that way. He sees to the depth. It's, it's, that is a picture of what Jesus actually is. That the, the fantasy of Sherlock is actually what Jesus is, that he's able to take in all information in wisdom, and it doesn't rush upon him as if he, does, he can't handle it, but he sees to the core of each one of those situations. This means that Jesus does not give general platitudes. Jesus does not give general platitudes but rather sees to the heart of every situation and every issue so as to know what wisdom to pull from his great reservoir. Next, the spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of counsel and might. Counsel speaks to the ability to devise a right course of action. And this is actually the word that we hear in, in Wonderful Counselor. And I wonder, when you, hear, when you heard that first title of Wonderful Counselor, if we thought of the same categories that we have around uh, the counselors that we go to see. That's not really what this text is talking about. Really, the word counsel here, or the word counselor in Isaiah 9, is this idea of, of strategist, of uh, executor of God's will that he's the one who's going to bring things forward, bring things into fruition. And so Jesus' counsel is the ability to devise the right course of action in bringing about God's will. And then not only that, but he has might. He's mighty. (laughs) Not only is he able to see what the right course of action is, but he actually has the personal prowess in which to move that course of action forward. Jesus is not ignorant, he understands and knows the right way to go. And then he's also not powerless, but he is mighty and able to move things forward. And all of these things, these, these, this spirit of wisdom and understanding, counsel and might is housed in this final little t- uh, piece of this, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So this is the, the context in which the wisdom of Jesus is received. That Jesus has a personal relationship with the Lord. And that Jesus fears God, that Jesus has a reverence and a respect for who God is. He has great moral concern for God's honor and glory above all else. And because He is that way, He has this wisdom and understanding. We see that clear in other parts of the Bible, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of understanding, the beginning of wisdom. Jesus has the right heart in which to receive the wisdom that the Spirit of God is giving him. He has reverence of moral concern in light of who the Lord is. So that's kind of the dynamics of his wisdom. The dynamics of the breadth and depth of his wisdom in every situation, both high and and, and at 30,000 feet, he sees and he understands to the core. And then the specificity of the issues in your own life, Jesus understands. Down to the core. He sees to the depth what's really there. Which means that he understands, for example, why you are the way that you are. (laughs) He understands why you have the temptations, why certain sins tend to get its hook in you. I'll put it this way Jesus understands you more than the Enneagram ever could. (laughs) Listen, I love the Enneagram here on staff at ICON. We use the Enneagram a lot in order to understand one another. But if we think for a second that the Enneagram, I, I can know myself fully from the Enneagram, we, we're foolish. Jesus alone knows us. Jesus alone sees to the core of who you are, of why you are the way that you are. Which means... That as you walk through life, yeah, use things like the Enneagram. Use that to understand more about the way of who you are and be able to relate to others well. But before you do that, above and before that, look to Jesus to tell you who you are. To tell you, to to diagnose for you with perfect wisdom and clarity why it is that you're this way. Why it is that you feel bent Toward this way. Why I personally feel bent towards isolation. It's so easy to be like, oh, well, I'm just a five. No, it's that so much of that really, truly is sinful. It's because relationships are exhausting. Relationships are exhausting and I want to isolate. That's sinful and I need the spirit of God showing me that. I I need to go to Jesus to understand myself. Again, is Jesus an expert or is he not? Is Jesus more reliable and has a a more reliable understanding of who you are than even the Enneagram does? Or Myers-Briggs, choose whichever one you want. Jesus understands us, which means that we should run to him. And that we should, so he understands us specifically, but I said before that, that he understands everything at a 30,000 foot view too, which means that we always have hope. And I'm getting ahead of myself here. We'll get into this when we talk about uh, 2020 and how this resolves it. But we need to know right now that Jesus sees the affairs of the world. Jesus understands what's going on. (laughs) Have you asked yourself that question this year? What is happening? What is going on in the world? Jesus doesn't ask that question. Jesus knows with wisdom and with understanding exactly what is driving the dysfunction, the sin, and the destruction of his world. And so you can be trusted even at 30,000 feet. We'll get into that later. That's the wisdom of Jesus. Second from this text, and probably relatively quickly, the, the ways of Jesus. that that Jesus in his wisdom doesn't just, he doesn't just possess wisdom, but he actually acts toward the world in specific ways because of that wisdom. The wisdom of Jesus is executed through his ways. Listen to this from verse, verse three through five. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see, or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. What are the ways of Jesus? The wisdom of Jesus is executed through his ways to bring back balance to the world. To bring back justice. And honestly, I think a lot of us right now, we might be exhausted a little bit by the topic of justice, but friends, we cannot be because Jesus is not. Jesus sees those who are poor. Jesus sees those who are the meek of the earth. And as Christians, as Christians, we need to see that his ways toward those who are disadvantaged, toward those who are the meek of the earth. And many of us are meek of the earth in in different kinds of ways. That his ways toward them and us is to bring balance. That word equity, not just like equality, but equity to where where the meek of the earth and the poor have been brought low, not just to bring them back here, but to actually give them equal standing in dignity and in value and in potential, (laughs) Jesus brings back in his wisdom, through his ways, equity to those who are in need. And he does this because his wisdom drives him to not judge by what his eyes see or his ears hear. Jesus is not deceived by appearances. Jesus is not deceived by words or speeches or whatever you want. Jesus sees, in his wisdom, sees through to the core what's really going on. Let, let me just put, a, put an example on it. Jesus sees to the core what is driving the homelessness crisis in Seattle. Jesus sees that to the core. And, there, and it is a complex issue in Seattle. But Jesus understands every bit of it. And he will one day bring equity. But also, what does it say? That he will judge the, the, the poor with righteousness. Which means that he also doesn't have preferential treatment necessarily for those who are disadvantaged. He, he sees with impartiality. His desire is to, is to bring balance and equity. We do not want someone who would be partial in any sort of way, we want impartiality. And when we think of that word of impartiality, we might think of it like a cold category of just a judge who is impartial based off of the, the clear reading of the law of the land. But Jesus' impar- impartiality in his wisdom is not cold. It's not dead. It's not lifeless. It is fueled by love for his world and the desire to see it flourishing again. And so the wisdom of Jesus in his ways sees through to the core of every complex issue and will bring balance. The mountains will be lowered, the valleys raised up as if it was a plain. Equal footing. The ways of Jesus establishes equity in the world. Not only that, but the ways of Jesus will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Meaning that Jesus' wisdom is so on point that the very word of his pronouncement is enough to shut everything down. The very word of his judgment is enough to slay the world, is enough to slay injustice in the world. That his wisdom is so full and his understanding so clear that by the very breath of his lips, with the rod of his mouth, of his words, he will bring this justice. Because it is perfect and it is clear. And he is ready to do this. Even now he is ready to do this. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness, the belt of his loins, which means that he's ready. Anytime you see that word, that that imagery of someone having a belt of something, it means that they are geared up and ready to go. Jesus is eager to bring righteousness to the world. Jesus is eager to act in faithfulness toward those who are in need, to those who uh, who are, who have been disadvantaged in the world. Jesus is eager, he's chomping at the bit to do this, to act in righteousness and faithfulness toward the world. And so the wisdom of Jesus is exercised in specific ways. And now, let's just slow down and think. Toward the end of 2020, why do we need a wonderful counselor? Well, you see right up there in verse 1, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. This is the idea of a a downed tree. The roots are already up, but it says that from that root, one will bear fruit. And I think the image of that gives us hope in 2020. The image of a felled tree, of a Seemingly destroyed society. A seemingly wasted year in 2020. We need someone who will bear fruit. And we need someone who will bear fruit specifically in this category of wisdom. In a world of misinformation. In a world of untruth. We need someone who is wise. Isn't it funny how a culture that idolizes reason without wisdom, has become altogether unreasonable. We need someone to step in. And Jesus is this person. That God sees the, the, the way that truth has been torn apart in our world has been disadvantaged. The way that that, the effect of that tearing apart of truth has created very real problems in our society. God sees that and his diagnosis, his solution is Jesus as wonderful counselor. And that's because Jesus is the expert in wisdom and understanding. He's the one that we need. Listen, like I said, he's the smartest person to ever live. Jesus's understanding of the world makes everything Stephen Hawking or Elon Musk could ever come up with look like a farmer's almanac. Jesus's understanding of justice and equity in the world makes the late Justice Ginsburg or the late Justice Scalia, whichever side you fall on, look like a crook in comparison. Jesus's wisdom cannot be confounded, cannot be confused. Jesus knows all things, sees all things, and knows as the power to move things forward in the right course of action. And we need that in 2020. How are you going to run into 2021? How how should we process the turning of this year into 2021? What type of plan do we need to put into place? What type of uh, idea of how to live life after this pandemic ceases? How do we get back to normal? Friends, ask those things of Jesus, go to him, pray, and know that he has a wisdom that can guide you into 2021. Out of 2020, all all the mess, all the misinformation, all the untruth, all, all of those things, conspiracy theories, Jesus, his wisdom pierces through those things and can give us a way of life in 2021 that can bring peace that can even bring equity if we would listen to him. Jesus is the wonderful counselor that we need. And it's right here at this moment to close that I think we feel the tension of Advent. Advent is a hopeful season, but it's also a really hard season because as we look at the ways that Jesus has, has come into the world through his incarnation the first time, we also look forward to when he will come again. You see, Jesus is the wonderful counselor right now. He is indeed the great ruler of the world with wisdom and clarity and understanding. But there is coming a day, there is coming a day where that will be put on full display. And everything that this text speaks of, of balance, justice, righteousness, ruling the world, will come into full fruition. And so right now, in this season of Advent, consider, friends, how you need Jesus as wonderful counselor. And then let that, let it almost bother you a little bit that he's not back yet. That he's not back yet to establish his wisdom in the world. That move you to hope, move you to angst for him to return and make things right. That's what Advent is about. For Jesus to return, to look back on how he came and to look forward again to when he will come again. And until then, we call upon him as wonderful counselor for our lives, for our society, because he knows all things, friends. Let's pray. Father, I pray, God, that you would Give us a reliance on Jesus' wisdom. That you would help us to see that his wisdom is relatable. That he understands. He he didn't walk through this life with divine pushiness, but he, he, he felt the pains as well. And through all of that, received divine wisdom from your Holy Spirit to depend on your Holy Spirit to walk through life. And that means that Jesus understands how to grow in wisdom how to grow in, a, in living a life that is more and more and more in accord with the way you've set up everything, God. God, give us the faith to go to Jesus for wisdom, especially as we close out 2020. That you would give us wisdom on how to live life in 2021. And more importantly, you would give us an angst for your son to return and to establish His wisdom and His ways in fullness in the earth, God. Father, we look forward to that and we say, Jesus, come again. In your name, amen. This teaching was recorded as part of our current sermon series at Icon Church. During our weekly gatherings, we move from the teaching into a time of response to reflect on and respond to the work of the Spirit. While we recognize it's hard to capture that in a podcast, we'd still encourage you to take a moment. Consider what the Spirit might be saying to you in response to what you heard. For more resources and details about how to join us on Sundays, visit iconchurch.org. As we say each week, Christ is all and we are His.